not entirely sure how this is going to work because everything feels a little bit the wrong way around in my office. It looks like at least the streaming, I'd like I plugged all the camera and everything back in correctly, which is good news because that doesn't always happen. So that's that's something. The reason why everything's back to front, and if you listen to this, like normally I would have a wall behind me. I'm looking at the screens at the moment. Screens are there, walls and stuff are there. Well, there's walls behind me too. But as, jeez, I'll turn that down. As some of you can probably see, I'm in the midst of painting in this I'm in the midst of paying someone to paint in this room. So this is sort of the, the next thing on the list, just making this room uh, better acoustically, better aesthetically as well. So, in fact, the door's already been painted. They've got a very dark colour. And you can just see a little bit up the top there where they're sort of cutting in next to the ceiling. There's some wallpaper going on there. Uh, anyway, the curtains have been taken down. And there is just like glaring light 6.48 in the morning coming through there. And when I had the camera in the normal spot, so I went all dark and the rest of it was light. So I thought, okay, I'll just rotate it. Let's see how it looks. Now, I'm going to have to keep looking over there to see the comments. Who we got here? Rambling Geek, George, Stephen, and Stuart. All right, cool. Thank you for folks joining in. Uh, I would normally begin by talking about a sponsor. Except... I noticed yesterday there is a sponsor listed on my blog and the sponsor message, the entire message says VMware <laughs> and that is it. Now, what happens when I line up sponsorship is they send me an email and they go, hey, we'd like to sponsor you, you know, how does it all work, etc. I send them an email and go, this is how it works, that's what it costs, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then they go, cool, let's have these weeks. And then I block the weeks out. I literally have a little database sitting up there in the cloud where I put the start date and the end date and the sponsor and the message. And when a sponsor first signs up, I literally just put the name of the sponsor. And then I say something to the effect of, please send me the message in the URL that you'd like link to before the sponsorship goes live. That hasn't happened in this case. And I wouldn't have mentioned VMware at all were it not for the fact that I only noticed yesterday, Thursday, that since Sunday, my blog has said VMware. I've been kind of busy with other things. So I have sent them an email and said, maybe you want to actually send me the message so I could put it there. So um, thank you, VMware. I don't know what more to say at this point because I don't have the whole message there. Uh, but hopefully we'll get that sorted out in time for next week. Okay, now I do have a bunch of stuff on one of these screens because everything's a little bit out of order at the moment uh, for today. And the first thing I had on there was I do now have the new iPhone 13 Pro Max, which uh, landed just during this week. So why? <laughs> why and what do I think about it? I, I probably get most new iPhone models. I mean, one of the nice things about, about being like, self-employed and having having what is ultimately a business that I do all of my cyber things through is that stuff is tax deductible. So I can go out and get a new device and pay for it with the money that I've earned before I have to pay the tax on it, which makes it roughly in Australia about half the price of what it would have been otherwise in real terms. So there's always that little bit of incentive. It's not quite the hit that it would be uh, in days gone by when I bought devices. So there's that. Uh, if I'm honest, because I had a 12 Pro before that, like the normal size 12 Pro, and I, I did think a lot, like, is it actually worth upgrading anything? But 
if you've been watching particularly my Twitter feed over the last, uh, I would say especially since COVID, I take a lot of photos, loads of photos. Like if I look at my list of photos at the moment, and it'll actually tell me how many are in here, I have taken 23,750 photos and about 1,600 videos with various versions of iPhone that now all sit in my iCloud. Uh, so heap of heap of photos. And a lot of these photos, I'm actually getting blown up and put on walls as well. At some point when all of this kind of stuff is finished, I will do a whole bunch of photos for the house of what we've done. You'll see that some of these photos I've, I've, uh, I've taken and then put up are epic. There's like this massive one of Charlotte and I at Uluru when we got engaged earlier this year that is probably a metre and a half wide, taken with an iPhone, blown up in full quality, and it looks amazing. There's photos of, of the kids printed on canvas, which look just epic. So for me, like the photo quality on this thing is just super, super important because these are memories that will be there forever. There's really not much of a functional value in this upgrade as far as I'm concerned, it's like, yes, it's faster. Actually, probably the most valuable thing is, let's talk about going, going to Max, and then I'll come back to the battery thing. I had a Max, must have been about iPhone 8 era, and then I went to the 10, and the 10 is when they got rid of the bezels, and you got the like little notch up the top, and it was like, all right, this is cool, because I can basically get just as many uh, pixels and dimensions in the screen in a smaller form factor. So I don't need the Max anymore. I'll just go and get the I'll get the 10. Uh, so from 10 onwards, and I think I had 10, 11, 12, they were all standard size phones. Now, I wanted the Max for a couple of reasons. Number one is battery. Like you get a lot more battery out of a Max. And I do find myself running out of battery a bit. In many ways, it doesn't matter too much because it's not like I'm out on the road <laughs> a heap. And if I am on air quotes on the road it's normally like literally on the road in the car in which case it's plugged in and it's car plane it charges but there are plenty of times still where i'm like wandering around or i've been in the office or something and i haven't put the phone on the little charger that i have sitting on the desk over there uh, which is probably just about in frame for some of you i haven't sat it there and it does run short so i really wanted more battery life which the 13 pro is meant to have anyway and then the pro max is meant to have even more because it's larger and then i was just kind of curious how much more stuff could I do on the bigger phone that I would have maybe struggled with on the smaller phone, maybe rolled to iPad? One thing that did constantly drive me nuts on a smaller phone is I'm six foot five. For some reason in Australia, we still do feet, about 197 centimeters. My hands are proportionately large, and I know that that sounds like it's going down a bad direction, which is really self-ingratiating, but there's a functional problem here, which is I keep fat fingering keys. And I found that that was really starting to bug me. So I was like, eh. and maybe this is clutching its drawers. I'm like, okay, if I get a slightly larger phone, then the keys will be slightly larger and maybe I won't have that problem. Anecdotally, so far, I do actually find it easier to type on. Right, so uh, camera. Now, I just posted a photo on Twitter, oh, gee, about 20 minutes ago. And I reckon it's absolutely stunning. <laughs> like, there's a couple of comments in here going, like, this looks like a game. So it's, it's a photo from my backyard with the sun just coming up and just this crazy reflection on this glassy, glassy water. Uh, look, it would have looked awesome with the 12 Pro anyway. I just find that any little bit of extra I can get out of the camera is good. One of the things the camera can do on the 13 Pro that the older ones couldn't is macro. So I do have a Twitter thread going where I took a photo of a spider because Australia in macro and it looked totally amazing. 
Uh, it's, it can also do, what do they call it, like cinematic night mode, which I've not tried yet. But I'll try that and I'll add it to the thread of 13 Pro. So I, I think it's, in summary, <laughs> it's, it is a luxury upgrade. There's not a whole lot of stuff that's different. It's mainly the cameras. But if you can justify it, seems pretty neat. And if I don't like the max form factor, then... September next year, I'll order a smaller one when there's a 14 and it's got better cameras again or something like that. All right, what's on the comments here? John is there. G'day, John. John, who I'd normally be in Belgium drinking beer with probably about now. Uh, Ramley Geek says, how do you figure out what to charge? What to charge? Are we talking about charging the phone or charging? If it's assuming that might be in relation to blog sponsors, uh, trial and error. <laughs> is the best way I can put it. I probably started way too low and then I had to just find a spot where there's enough sponsors that say yes, but enough that say no as well in order to sort of price where demand is. In fact, it's the same with everything I do. It's like figuring out what to charge is a really, really weird problem. Uh, and what's especially weird about it is a lot of the stuff I do, it's, um, it's not like... If I wanted to get a gardener, right, or if I wanted to get someone to wash the car, uh, and, and I do, both things, because I'm bad at both, <laughs> and my time's valuable, I could go out and talk to like 10 different gardeners or 10 different car wash guys, and everything would be around about the same price, because whether it's this person or that person, for the most part, it's the same thing. And just as I say that, I'm really, really particular about my cars, <laughs> but it's, a, it's pretty much the same sort of thing. For the stuff that I do, whether it's the sponsorship or the talks or the workshops or things like that, and particularly for things like advocacy programs and, and advisory boards and things like that, it's very, very hard to just compare and just, just go, okay, look, this person's going to do a particular job. This is what it's worth. And it very much comes down to how much people want to pay to have me do that thing. One day there's going to be an awesome blog post in this, actually, because I find it fascinating. And it's, it's just this really, really weird thing. And, 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 you know, think about the conference talks and things I do. Like, I'm going to do a talk uh, this afternoon, which is, which is uh, uh, I don't know if it's public and you can sign up, but it's been publicly advised. It's for a conference called Kins. It's in Norway. Now, inevitably, a portion of what they're paying there is to go, hey, Troy's going to talk at this conference. And then people come to the conference and they'll buy the tickets. Uh, I, I think my content is good as well, which is kind of important. But someone else delivering the same content may have a fundamentally different pricing position. So um, Rambling Geek, and you've just confirmed, yes, blogs, ads, that's what we we're talking about. Uh, that is a really, it, it, it is a really, really fascinating thing. And I, I've often said, and, uh, and I try to say this without sounding super, super ingra self-ingratiating, it's really, really weird when people are like, we want to pay money, not because of the thing that you do, but because of who you are which is very, very strange, very, very strange. And I've learned some really, really interesting things about that in, let's just say in finance and law over the last couple of years. It's going to be an awesome blog post one day or an awesome conference talk, or I'll just talk about it here on the video. John, John is having a, a duvel. Uh, it's almost 11 p.m. there, and I, I know that John would be having that in the correct glass <laughs> because every time I have it in the incorrect glass, Belgians get very upset with me. On the next thing, Thingiverse. Oh, God, these guys. Thingiverse, MakerBot. Now, last week, 
I spoke about the Thingiverse data breach, and the, the sort of the hierarchy here is that uh, Thingiverse is a website where people exchange 3D models, uh, usually for 3D printing. It is owned and operated by a company called MakerBot, who also makes printers, which is owned by a company that starts with S, and the name escapes me. They're a publicly listed company. Now, they had a data breach. Uh, it was hard getting in touch with them. No surprise was there. Eventually got in touch with them, let them know about it. And I think they kind of stopped talking to me <laughs> for a bit there. Mm -hmm. Now, this is also data that was being shared around on a popular hacking forum, not on the dark web, on the clear web. So it was in very, very broad circulation. Uh, means lots of people had it. So obviously wanted to get in the have I been pwned. There's actually somewhere in the order of 2.8 million accounts in there. Now, these accounts were predominantly of a format of username and password. Now, of course, username for so many people is personally identifiable because they use the same username in other places. And even though MakerBot went and obfuscated a bunch of email addresses because it looks like they took production data and they put it in stage you know, because, hey, YOLO. Even though they obfuscate a bunch of email addresses, once you have usernames next to passwords, and a bunch of them were SHA-1, I think from memory, yes, unsalted SHA-1, because I was literally able to just copy those SHA-1 hashes and Google them <laughs> and find the plain values for a bunch of them. Uh, or Bcrypt. Okay, good on you for Bcrypt. Still crackable, though. You still have to notify people if their Bcrypt is leaked, and you really should be changing it unless you're like me and hopefully most of you, which is we use a password manager and generate long, strong, random, unique passwords. In their disclosures, <laughs> we can actually talk about what they've said now because this came out after, after the chat in my weekly video last week. Looking at the most recent Thingiverse tweets here, actually, this was a week ago, so maybe I did talk about it, I can't remember, it becomes a blur. Two tweets from Thingiverse. Now, I've only seen two public mentions of this, and it's these two tweets. Number one, we are aware and have addressed an internal error that led to the exposure of some non-sensitive user data on Thingiverse. Non-sensitive. We issued a notice to the affected users and encouraged you to update the password of your Thingiverse account. We apologize, with a Z, Americans, for this inconvenience. That was the first tweet. Second tweet is, for clarification, the exposure affected a handful, less than 500, of real user data. Bullshit. The non-production, non-sense... Why did he say non-production? Not... Anyway, the non-production, non-sensitive data included encrypted passwords, random salted. It's not right, they were hashed. And also the SHA ones weren't, hash, uh, weren't salted. With mostly testing data, the affected users have been notified. Also bullshit. Um, and the reason I ask bullshit is that I have a rather lengthy thread going here on this incident. And I have been adding things to it as we've gone along, particularly with uh, comments from other people in their own tweets about the fact they haven't been notified. Well, actually, they haven't completely not been notified. They've been notified by having been pwned. They just haven't been notified by the company that lost their data, which all makes it a little bit weird. Now, let me just find the Thingiverse. Oh, Thingiverse Troy Hunt, that'll find it. Ah, uh -huh, Troy Hunt. So many tweets. 
So, <laughs> I invented the Iraqi information minister because it basically feels what it's like at the moment. So somewhere in here, they've, um, they've obviously not notified people and I've embedded some comments from people. And there are things like, all right, the Apple freak says, notified by HOBP, no disclosure notice from Thingiverse, logged in to reset my password earlier today and was not shown any alerts or anything informing me as such. Paul Nichols, the email address I use for Thingiverse shows as included in the breach on HOBP, no notification from Thingiverse. Keen Maisels, same for me. Gina, with the last name that looks German with letters I can't pronounce. I was in the breach. I did not receive anything from Thingiverse. They either don't understand or don't care about what happened there and the magnitude of it. And then it got worse. <laughs> so someone here, TJ Horner, who's publicly identified himself, is an ex-employee of MakerBot. And he said, you, you know all those, those keys that are in the data breach? They give you access to the printer. <laughs> so not, not only have they not notified literally millions of people that have had their personal data exposed, not less than 500, millions of their personal sensitive, because there's passwords, production data. There's keys in here and they give you remote access to the printer. And there's a story in here. So Jeremy Kirk has written this up. Jeremy Kirk is a good journo down here and a guy I talk to a lot. Big findings from Thingiverse data breach. 50,000 MakerBot 3D printers could have been hijacked remotely and wrecked. Also, 2 million people are likely affected by the breach, not 500. And in here in the story, he's got embedded from TJ Horner somewhere a photo, which is a photo taken with the printer's camera that could be remotely accessed by the keys. Now, interestingly, Thingiverse slash MakerBot have rotated the keys. So the keys are no longer valid. You can't use them to go and crash people's printers or look at their cameras which also says that they know that there was a problem and they've rotated the keys and they've just said nothing about it and it just blows my mind that we're in this situation where a subsidiary of a publicly listed company can behave in this way and like nothing happens and, and i hope that nothing does not happen is that a double negative i hope something does happen there needs to be some sort of recourse for this this is just absolutely nuts yeah anyway all right let's hear in the comments Nathan also has the correct glass. <laughs> He's out of double. Uh, this is all just about beer and whiskey. Brendan says, you know, it's been a bad thread. You know, it's been bad when Troy's thread is too long for even him to easily find the starter. I just despair. I just, I, I despair at how it's been handled. Now, on to the next one. And I can't talk about what this one is yet because i'm still giving the company a little bit more of a chance to communicate it appropriately i've had more data <laughs> sent to me because it's a day ending in y someone sent me data more data sent it was and i'm just going to be cautious with my words just simply because i want to give them i've told them about another 12 hours to disclose this properly before i do it anyway it is a service that I was not familiar with, but appears to be quite significant and has a very, very robust following. And there is a seven-digit number of email addresses floating around alleged to have come from the service. Now, when I say floating around, someone sent it to me many days ago. I've found it being exchanged really extensively again within the hacking community. 
it is out there in a lot of hands. It was put to me when the person sent me the data that it was being used for phishing. And it, 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 is, it is a class of site which is particularly subject to phishing attacks. Uh, it would be reasonable to assume that even though there are only email addresses floating around here, that yes, they would be used in a lot of phishing-related attacks. And, and the difficulty we're having at the moment is that it is just email addresses. Now, it's just email addresses. There's no passwords in there. There's no anything else. So I've been in touch with the company and I said, look, uh, I think you should look at this because I went through it. It's interesting, actually. This service has obviously put a lot of effort into not having enumeration vectors, which makes it much harder to sort of take an email address and go, hey, does it exist on the service? So you can't go to password reset and it comes back and says, hey, this account exists and we've sent you an email or this account doesn't exist. Therefore, we've not sent you an email. However, there's mail and addresses. And when there's Mailinator addresses, you can plug the Mailinator address in, do a password reset, go to Mailinator, which is a public mailbox accessible to everyone, and go, ah, isn't that interesting? There's a password reset email in my Mailinator inbox. Ergo, that account does exist on the service. And just in case you're thinking, well, maybe they just send every single account an email, fabricate something at Mailinator.com, go to the mailbox, nothing arrives. Multiple Mailinator addresses I checked. Now, to their credit, this organization has been responding to me promptly. To their credit, they're like, okay, cool, we're looking into this. Uh, we don't have or we can't find any evidence of a breach. My last email to them was, uh, I used the term, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. All right? So just because you can't find something doesn't mean it didn't happen. Now, because I wanted to be extra, extra certain about this, I took the email addresses from the data set. I was going to say the breach and then I was going to say the alleged breach. Let's just call it the data set. From the data set. And I cross-referenced them with the now 4,009,015 subscribers that I have on Have I Been Pwned. I found many tens of thousands of my own subscribers in the data set. I emailed a bunch of them and said, hey, can you help me out? Do you have an account on this service? If you don't think you do, if you can't remember, can you just do a password reset and see if you get an email? I've had a double-digit number of responses to that. 100% confirmed that they had an account on the site. So it's kind of an interesting one because there's a, a so far a perfect correlation of email addresses in the data to accounts that exist on the site which is a bit of a smoking gun but we've got the organization saying we, we can't find evidence of anything having gone wrong uh but it's being exchanged around and probably used for fishing and stuff like that so so what do you do so i've actually got to the point because we've been having this discussion for a couple of days now and it's like look i'm going to load the data uh i would really like you to have a public statement just explaining what you know apparently i'm not the only one that's been in touch with them about this either have a public statement explaining what you know, and then I can link to that. Otherwise, I will just explain that this is what it is. You can't find any evidence. Or that, what did I say? I think I said, I'll just explain what it is uh, and that you're investigating it. But yeah, it's just between you and I. They, so they can't find, <laughs> find any evidence of a breach. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Like This happens all the time, where there's this data floating around being exchanged really extensively online in the clear web. Organisation's got no idea about it or hasn't commented on it, and, and here we are. And I, I don't like the fact that I've got those four million plus people who keep looking at my little metric over there. For folks wondering, if I pan the camera around just a little bit, there's double me, because you can see me in the, 
in the OBS window and my little metric underneath that tells me how many subscribers I've got on Have a Man Pwn. Uh, so I've got that many people waiting to be told if I find their data somewhere and I don't like sitting on data belonging to these people and not telling them. Uh, but I've also got to try and do the right thing by the company. All right, last thing, the book, the much-fabled book. The cover got a reaction. <laughs> so uh, if you haven't seen the cover, it's a photo of me from 1995 when I was 18. And some people have said I look like Jason Donovan. And if you don't know who Jason Donovan is, Google him. He was in Neighbours. <laughs> I think someone else might have used the term boy band. <laughs> but it's basically just like a normal photo of me and my hair was longer and blonder. Um, but we, we sort of, we, we struggled with the cover and the name. So we, we've called the book Pwned. Uh, and we, we struggled with both because you sort of want things that are interesting and impactful, but you don't want it to be like too contrived or too weird. And when we, we kind of started writing the book, so this is, again, Rob Connery, um, his grand idea to put this together, uh, and Charlotte's been just organising us and, and making us actually deliver stuff on time <laughs> and pulling all the, all the logistics together. Uh, when we, we started writing it and I was doing this intro, everything sort of starts at, at that time, at like 1995. Uh, that's when I got my HTML for Dummies book, which is still sitting down there in the yellow section <laughs> of my bookshelf. Thank you, Charlotte, for colour coding my books. Everything for me started there, and in the in the intro, uh, and and just for those who have not been uh, watching, there there is a preview of the book that went out about twenty four hours ago. So the preview has gone out, and uh, that's now available for anyone to go and get for free. And then around about the holiday season, I think probably start of December, we'll put the whole thing out there, and you'll be able to buy the whole book. So in the uh, in the intro to the preview, I sort of tell this story about how I how I got started writing software for the web and I, I guess the thing there that sort of resonated to most people and I had some questions from someone who who I said come and ask on the live stream but then I don't think he's here and I, I won't name who it is but I'm just going to I'm just going to explain anyway and then he can watch it later on so I explain in this in this book that I started writing software for the web in in 95 the year I started university and and I wanted to do web development at university but there was like no courses whatsoever because it was just such a new thing. So I went out and I got my HTML for dummies book and I learned myself and I started writing software for the web which was mostly like brochureware sites and what I just remember one of the first ones I ever did was for a car hire company. Uh, for folks from this part of the world, it was actually for Able Car Hire Company. I think it's A-B-E-L. And I went to uh, archive.org to try and find it, but archive.org just doesn't go back that far. So that was one of the first things we did. Uh, I did a horse stable at some point because I had a contact who was in the horse industry. And at the time when I was writing these things, I had a girlfriend uh, from university. We had a, a two-year relationship. She was in the same class. She was by any reasonable measure smarter than me <laughs> so she she was doing like the the proper coding stuff the back end stuff and i was doing the html and i wasn't doing css because we didn't have css in 1995 but the html and the javascript and stuff like that and then at some point this this contact i had wanted to build horse racing software and, and i won't explain the whole thing because it's there in the intro and in the, in the book in a more carefully worded fashion but long story short he wanted to 
build a horse racing product that could then be sold to I, I can't remember whether they deliberately called them like uh punters or investors but the intention was people would make money out of this because he had a system and he got someone else on board to sell it and long story short uh, I'm pretty sure it ended up being some sort of a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> and I shouldn't laugh because a bunch of people lost money out of it, including me. And I, I sort of talk about I didn't lose money betting on the horses, but I lost money because there was a whole bunch of money that uh, we're meant to have earned and we copped massive tax bills on uh, and nearly sent me bankrupt when I was very, very early 20s, uh, 97, 98, 99. So that was sort of the, the start and the intro to the book. And... Like to this day, that's just like a defining period in my life, starting to write uh, software of commercial value and just having it go catastrophically wrong. And I explain in the book that uh, because I was young and naive, as we've all been, and I didn't want people to take advantage of me, I made sure I was a director of the company. Now, now that I'm, yes, Yes, less young and less naive. I understand that that comes with a whole lot of uh, accountability, <laughs> such as if a company does the wrong thing and you're a director, you're accountable. If a company defaults on debts, uh, you're accountable. So I spent years and years after that, probably about the next five years, just recovering from like crippling debt. Uh, and that that had a really major impact on how I've run my, my life and, and my finances and things since. Now, I'm actually going to read you the, the questions that came through because there's this person sort of said, look, I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about this. And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm happy talking about this. Um, and I, I think they're actually very good questions. So um, where was it here? Uh, uh, oh, this would have just been yesterday, wouldn't it? Because that's when I pushed the book out. Oh. I know you said the answers publicly in the first video, live with Rob. <clears throat> but the questions I think some will think is what happened during the investigation. So when uh, when these guys were running this this horse racing software, uh, eventually uh, ASIC here in Australia, the Australian Securities Investment Commission, said, you guys are running an, an investment scheme, but you don't have an investor's license. Uh, also, you're not meant to run Ponzi schemes. Uh, and, and again, like, this is just my interpretation looking back at something more than 20 years ago, joining some dots together. I th think this is what they were doing. Uh, we certainly did. It's it's not like there was a, a line of code which is like insert Ponzi here. <laughs> like we gave them the software to be able to put numbers in, and obviously they're they're cooking the books a little bit. So the whole thing got investigated. Uh, I did get interviewed by ASIC, which was not a lot of fun. I had a lawyer present and had to go through all of this this sort of grilling, which for me, just writing code and having no idea about the business world was was yeah bloody intimidating. So what happened during the investigation? Did you get spoken to by the police? Uh, not by the police, but by ASIC. Did you go to court? No, I didn't go to court. In fact, when I had that investigation, I was uh, investigation that uh, interview. I was actually in Singapore at the time, and it was all done by phone. Uh, was you banned from being a company director for years? No, uh, I wasn't. Uh, and in fact, uh, I I still have the same company that owns some shares. Um, in that one which I was which I was trading under and in fact it's the same one that I trade under for a, for a bunch of have I been pwned things today so no I wasn't banned from being a company director uh, I I had black marks on my credit record for years uh, and 
I'm just looking at the other comment he made here because he said, after after recovering from the debts, how hard was it to approach banks for credit, bank account, etc.? So because there were various loans that were defaulted on, so things, one of the ones I remember is there was a printer. Now the, the, the printer wasn't purchased outright. It was, it was on, a, on a purchase plan or, or I don't know if it was leased or what it was. It basically had to pay money each month to have the great big photocopier printer sort of thing. And that was one of the debts that was defaulted on. Now, I was not the person who went out and got the printer. Uh, I really don't like printing stuff if I don't have to. But that was something that was owned by the organization. And because I was a director, I had accountability for it. Uh, So that was one of the things. So what ended up happening is on my credit record, I had these black marks where these various loans had been defaulted on. Any of the the loans I had personally, in fact, the only loan I had personally was for a car. And my parents bailed me out of that. They bought the car. Uh, So there was nothing that I defaulted on personally, but it's still a black mark on your record. Now, depending on what it is, over time, it will drop off your record. Uh, so, you know, I think like defaulting on a loan was was five years or, or something like that. So I just had to wait until I got past that period before the things dropped off my record and it, it just became, you know, eventually squeaky clean. And it has been, and it will stay that way, has been for the last decade and a half, I guess. But uh, yeah, particularly when I started buying investment property, and I've written about this before, it was hard in the early days, in the early 2000s, I was buying property. And it was hard uh, getting finance, or certainly getting finance at high LVRs, loan-to-value ratio. So if I wanted to borrow a very high proportion of the value of the property, that was hard. Uh, I think I had trouble getting a credit card at one point, or I could only have a very low limit on the credit card. But all of this is stuff that over time got rinsed out but enormously stressful stuff at the time and look if other people have questions on this like feel free to ask <laughs> you can i don't have any sort of stigma around this stuff now and as i said in the book when i think about the the sort of the crisis in my life then and then over the last couple of years between all of the stress and everything from the projects i've been running the divorce and all that kind of stuff that the thing about all of those experiences is that they kind of shape you into into who you are and had i not gone through that i wouldn't be who i am today and i like who i am today i reckon it's i reckon it's going all right so no regrets now back to the comments what we got in here uh brandon webbs um says unrelated nice background on the monitor all right the background on this monitor you are seeing literally one quarter of it this is a panorama from a mountaintop in Norway where Charlotte's family lives. And I took this Christmas before last, so nearly two years ago now, and it adorns my desktop. I have tweeted it publicly before. If anyone wants it, tweet me and remind me, and I'll I'll tweet it back out again. But yeah, just taken with the iPhone panorama. Told you I'd take lots of nice photos (laughs) with my iPhone. (laughs) Craig, do you do friends and followers discounts for us on new iPhones? No. What I end up doing is I give my old ones... Uh, to kids or parents. So um, my father is about to inherit Charlotte's outgoing iPhone, probably today. What else is on here? More beer stuff. More whiskey stuff. (laughs) Um, Some unrelated stuff. John's seen the picture. I assume, John, that's that picture I just took in my backyard, which does look super, super epic. 
Rambling Geek says, I have read the preview. Where do we send feedback? The comments section of that blog post would be a perfect spot for that. Thanks, mate, because that's very visible to Rob as well. Uh, we, we did have some comments around things like we actually had a regression bug with some formatting where I think when I originally wrote the, the intro, I put Microsoft Word with a lowercase w and then Rob corrected it with a capital W. But you know how you have like, have like change tracking in Word? And if you just copy and paste everything into another app, which is what Rob's done to put it in like a, an ebook format, it can copy that over. So there are things like that. Someone's made the point that there's there's too many uh, words that are broken in half and then hyphenated on the line wrap and it's a little bit hard to read. Like this stuff is awesome. This is what we need. Someone else made the point that there are two blog posts in this uh, initial release. Probably should have talked about the Pfizer one. What's the time? I can talk about that in a moment. Two, uh, two blog posts in this initial release that have intros and epilogues, and there wasn't enough visual difference between like the blog post itself and the epilogue. So this is the sort of stuff that we really want to get right now because when we push out more than 30 chapters of this thing uh, in, let's say, for argument's sake, six weeks' time, like I'll... I don't want to have to be going backwards and forwards on it then. I'm sure there'll be other things wrong then. I've found, um, uh, in fact, Rob said, I used a really weird word uh, on my Ashley Madison blog post, which is one of the two blog posts in the preview. There was a complete typo, and it had been up there for like five years or something like that. So I'm sure we'll find a heap of that stuff too. Uh, what else is in here? Um Rambling Geek, did the guy whose idea it was get away with it? I think this is probably going back to the horse racing thing. I've completely lost touch with them. And, and one of the things that um, I think this is in the in the finish of the book. One of the things I, I think is very interesting about life is you, you tend to sort of break your life down into phases. Like for, for me, I had like one phase of my life up until when I was nearly 14 and everything in there was a bit of a blur, partly because I'm young, but also partly we were living in the one place living a very simple life and then we went to the Netherlands and there was like a two-year phase there and then we went to Singapore and there was a three-year phase there and then I came back here to the Gold Coast and there was another four-year phase and during that four-year phase is when the the horse racing stuff was happening like towards the end Uh, and the two people involved the one who was sort of the he was a bookmaker for those not familiar with the term there's someone who takes bets at a racetrack Um, he used to live very very close to me now somewhere i walk past almost every day and sometimes i wonder it's like i wonder if i'd actually see this guy and would i recognize him because i haven't seen him for 22 years um is he still alive because he was old at the time just realized he's probably a bit of a similar age to me now (laughs) he seemed old when i was young um I don't know what's happened to it. I did do a little bit of a Google the other day, and I thought I found a photo on Facebook somewhere. The one who was the the salesperson, who, to be honest, I think is where a lot of the sleaziness was. Not quite sure what's happened to him either. And, and look, there was a period of time where I absolutely hated these guys. You know, it's like you've felt like you've ruined my life, um, particularly because of where I think a lot of the money went <laughs> to, to one of them in particular. Um, and I don't know what's happened to them. I don't know if they're, I don't know if they had any penalties leveled at them. I mean, it would have been really, really clear to ASIC in the investigation that, that I was code monkey and that other people were like the masterminds behind the money and the sales and everything. So it's, it, it's a good question. Uh, I don't know what happened to them and I don't know where they are now. Uh, uh what else is in here? Oh. 
Have you considered Discord server? No. Um, that was an easy answer. James, do you have any advice for dealing with team members that refuse to engage with vulnerabilities? Yep, send them to me. <laughs> I'll get some attention. I will tweet your company name and I will say, does anyone have a security contact at? And then you can talk to your manager about that. How's that? That would, uh, that, that would, that would get attention. That would definitely get attention. <laughs> um, Rambling Geek, I think we've answered your question and feedback. John says, problem is indeed you easily read over your own typos all the time. To, to try and mitigate that risk, uh, I, I write everything in Ghost in a web browser and you have the native spell check within the browser, so that gets some stuff. I always go and preview a blog post before publishing. I copy it all, I paste it into Microsoft Word and I'll let Microsoft Word go through and it will check grammar and things like that. But stuff still gets through. Um, Brendan, weird word on Ashley Madison blog post, complete typo, doesn't ghost have spell check in the editor. Now, when I when I wrote the Ashley Madison one, I think I've just partly answered your question anyway, but when I wrote that, it would have been a long time ago too, and I think it was pre-ghost. Uh, in fact, it was pre-ghost, because I only moved to ghost after I moved here to the Gold Coast, which was late 2015, and the Ashley Madison stuff was around August 2015. So I would have been back on Blogger. Now, the, the last thing I thought I'd touch on. So I mentioned there were two blog posts in the preview and one of them I've just talked about was actually Madison. The other one is about Pfizer. Now, I spent 14 years working for Pfizer, which even for a lot of people today is still a bit of a shock. Maybe it's a shock that I've actually spent 14 years in one place. Maybe it's a shock that I had a normal job before. Maybe it's a, it's a shock that it was a very, very old traditional company, which is what Pfizer is. Now, back in the day, when I first got the job, I didn't know who Pfizer was. And for 14 years, most other people I spoke to didn't know who Pfizer was. And I, I had to sort of say to them, it's like, you know Viagra? We make Viagra. <laughs> like, we're the Viagra people. Because that was what Pfizer was really well known for. Uh, that wasn't their biggest drug either. Lipitor was their biggest selling drug. So Lipitor is to help you with your cholesterol. Uh, and that was an absolute blockbuster for Pfizer, the world's largest selling drug Lipitor was. So I spent 14 years there and I went there as a developer. So this was after all the horse racing debacle. I'd gone overseas to London for a year, came back, worked for an interactive TV company. I didn't mention that in the book. Uh, it's on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> you can look at it. And then went to Pfizer. Went there as a developer and uh, after, after working there as a developer for many, many years, they said, oh, if you, wanna, if you want your career to progress, you need to stop being a developer. And I'm like, well, but I, I like developing. I like writing code. Like, you should be an architect. So, all right, I've been an architect, so I've become an architect. And I, I'm still not entirely sure what that meant. I did some diagrams <laughs> and I spoke to other people about developing software and I had some sort of a cohesive vision for how we'd build software across the Asia-Pacific region, which was the bit that I was responsible for. And as time went by, I guess I just became more and more disenfranchised, in part because one of the things the organization, I can't remember how much of this I actually put in the, <laughs> in the epilogue of this, this chapter in the book, but one of the things I became really disenfranchised by was that they were outsourcing all of the development. So when I say all of the development, that would be everything from 
a brochureware site for Viagra. Uh, incidentally, the way we'd market a product like Viagra, you, you can't market direct to consumers in Australia. For those of you in America and you're like watching the TV and it's you're just blasted by everything from like boner pills to cholesterol-lowering pills to whatever it may be, you're blasted on TV the whole time and then you get to the bottom and there's a little fine print at the end. You can't do that in Australia because consumers shouldn't be making this decision themselves. They should be talking to the healthcare professional and the healthcare professional makes the decision. So when we wanted to market something like Viagra in Australia, we couldn't market Viagra. What we could do is we could market campaigns such as we had one called Love Life Now. It's like, let's focus on talking about how to create a better love life. And we can say to people, look, if you're, if you're suffering down there <laughs> in the bedroom, go and talk to your healthcare professional and they can suggest some products that might be useful for you. And that, look, I, I think that makes a lot more sense because, geez, I mean, look at what it's like at the moment with people's people deciding whether or not the vaccine is safe to take. I had this discussion with my painter <laughs> yesterday doing this. He's like, my brother doesn't want to take the vaccine. And I'm like, oh, it's interesting. What does your brother do? Oh, he's a scaffolder. So, oh, okay. As he is scaffolding, uh, how much uh, epidemiology does he actually do? <laughs> So I like the idea of people being referred to healthcare professionals. So anyway, we create everything from a brochureware website for Viagra through to things like adverse event monitoring software. So today, if you take the Pfizer vaccine and you develop a fever afterwards, that's an adverse event. And there is a formal reporting process and we built the system to handle that. But everything was outsourced and it was always outsourced to the cheapest possible markets, namely India, China and the Philippines. So I'd spend a bunch of time working with folks there and you wouldn't believe what the software quality was like when you outsourced to the cheapest possible markets. It's predictable. So I was becoming increasingly disenfranchised, just frankly cleaning up other people's messes. And then after 13 years of having the same boss, I got a new boss. And I've named him in the book. He was a guy called Gerard. And Gerard was in the Philippines. Now, just to sidestep a second, that the whole point of this book is there was a blog post I wrote on the day that I left Pfizer, it was the first time I'd ever mentioned their name publicly. I was waiting for my redundancy payout. <laughs> so I was not going to say anything like what I've said in the book now. I was very polite. But this book is about the story behind the story. And this was Rob's initial idea when he came to me. He's like, I think there's something interesting behind a whole bunch of these blog posts. So like, yeah, actually there is. There's a bunch of stuff I didn't say. So there's an intro as to why did I write this in the first place and then an epilogue as to what happened afterwards. So on the Pfizer one in the book, in the teaser, you can go and get now, book.troyhunt.com. In there, I explain that I got this new boss in the Philippines, Gerard. And the Philippines, like a lot of Asia, is a very hierarchical place. Now, I'll give you an example. I said this in the book. I'd go to Manila and I'd walk around the office in Manila and those who perceived me as being more senior or more important than them would call me Sir Troy, literally Sir Troy. Now, you're probably thinking, it almost feels like a Robin Hood era, you know, Knights of the Round Table, <laughs> Sir Troy. I always thought it was so freaking weird, but that's a cultural norm for them. And I have a feeling that Gerard might have wanted a bit of Sir Gerard from an Australian. <laughs> like, mate, that's not going to happen. And uh, we didn't really hit it off. 
And that the catalyst for me and the, and the reason, I'm sure a big reason for why I'm no longer there, is that I was going to do my first ever international talk, and this must have been April 2014. It was going to be Code Mania in New Zealand. I was going to go to New Zealand, which was really exciting for me because I'd never been to New Zealand. And I knew a long way in advance I was going to do it as a closing keynote. It was a lock note. In fact, it was right before Scott Hanselman. It was going to be me and then Hanselman. It was my first international trip, and it was going to be next to Hanselman, and this was really, really exciting for me. And I had agreed on this with my old boss because this is how far in advance things are organized. New boss comes in. I'm like, Gerard, mate, I'm going to be going to this thing. Um, <laughs> mate, not so. Uh, I'm going to be going to this thing. You know, just so you know. Yeah, okay, cool. And then we get closer. And he's like, look, I want you to come to the Philippines for a meeting. Uh, and I'm like, okay. Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to be here then. I'm going to be in Auckland. And then he was like, no, I really want you to come to the meeting. He's like, well, I'm still going to be in Auckland. I'm going to do the the keynote thing I think I was having I think I was having like two days off or something like that going to be doing the keynote thing I had to do all of my public speaking on my own holiday leave by the way Uh, all of my community events on my holiday leave everything on my holiday leave I'm going to be doing that then I'm going to have a holiday and it basically got to the point where he's like he literally said and this is in the book he said and he put it in writing too which is really stupid the only priority is the company and I gave him some pretty candid feedback <laughs> on that. I kind of unleashed a bit. And I, I, I said something to the effect of, this is just unacceptable. This is entirely at odds with the whole work-life balance thing because work-life balance blend, whatever you want to call it, was becoming a big thing because people were working too long, they were stressed, etc. You know, this is just not okay. And I was furious. And I did end up going to the Philippines. And I went, I, I just cut the meeting short. It was like one of these three-day team backpatting events cut it short left early uh and you can't fly from manila to auckland so i had to go via singapore and i just remember sitting in singapore being massively delayed and someone walking through the plane with a very large piece of equipment they'd just taken out of the plane which was no longer working and was stopping us from leaving i think it was something to do with the air conditioning and i just look at my watch going oh jeez this is just gonna be terrible and i got to auckland late in the day on the Friday and I got in a taxi and I made it there like it must have been about half an hour before I was meant to go on stage and talk missed all the rest of the event and I was just furious and when I went back to Pfizer the next week I marched into HR so I'm done with this shit like give me the paperwork I'm out and then when I read the paperwork it was like well if they ask me to leave (laughs) they ask me to leave the redundancy provisions are really good. The redundancy provision was about, and I did say this publicly in another blog post later on, it, it, it amounted to, by the time you got some tax advantages because it was uh, redundancy as well, it was almost two years of pay. So it's like walk out and get paid just your holiday leave, and I must have had six weeks or eight weeks or something like that owing, or stick it out, and then if they ask you to leave, it's like I don't have to work for the next two years, and I stay in the same position financially. Uh so that's, that's what happened. I, I stuck it out. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I hated every day of it. Uh, fortunately, Gerard didn't talk to me anymore, <laughs> which was good. Like After that, he didn't want to talk to me, which is really weird. Imagine your boss just doesn't want to talk to you. I just remember once, it's like someone said, oh, you know Gerard's here? It's like, yeah, but like he, he lives in the Philippines and he's in Sydney. I was, I was, yeah, yeah, no, he's down. Oh, okay. I don't care. <laughs> I had enough work to keep me busy. So... 
That was the backstory, and that's the whole idea of the book. So what are the things that happened behind the scenes I didn't write about at the time but were just sitting there simmering in my brain, and now they're finally coming out? Whew. Okay, looking at the comments. Uh, what else we got in here? Uh, Pawa Pawan. Hello, Troy. I'm from India, and I'm a student, and I'm thinking to start a small IT home security company. Can you give me any suggestions? about what I do or not. That is a very, very, very broad question. If you would like my thoughts on just the industry in general, there is a blog post. Uh, if you just Google Troy Hunt Cybersecurity Careers, there's, there's some thoughts in there that might help you get started. Also, if you're going to go down that route, have a look. There's a, a talk I did called uh, Hack Your Career. No, How I Hacked My Career. Just search for Troy Hunt Hack Your Career. Uh, so there's a talk that, that talks about some of the things I just mentioned as well, like my exit from Pfizer and everything else. So that might be interesting uh sorry pawan i think is the pronunciation there um uh brendan his cat decided to stand and claw his left bicep staring me dead in the eyes please keep us updated on that situation with your cat brendan (laughs) next comment yes i know unrelated thanks mate Um, uh, when people quit it's most often the leader of some sort but I need to thank them. Now I have my own company. So it's um, this is from Mikhail. Uh, it, I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who has had a redundancy, and I appreciate that's a little bit different to quitting, who's had a redundancy and not been happy about it um, because you get paid out, you know, you get some buffer. Tangential on this, and, and I think this is in the Hack Your Career talk, but when, um, when the redundancy happened... So this was 2014, and I'd been here on the Gold Coast over Christmas. Uh, and for, for those of you from other parts of the world, th- this was about an hour and a quarter flight from Sydney, about a nine-hour drive if you want to do that. And I'd come up here every year for Christmas and stay with my parents for a couple of weeks. Uh, and all I wanted to do ever since I left here after all the horse racing dramas is all I wanted to do was get back here. I just wanted to be back at home. Um, that was what I wanted in life. And at Christmas 2014, I was here going, I just got to get out of that place. I got to get out of that place and get back here. And I went back to to Sydney. And uh, actually, and it's a funny tangential story. When I was here, I looked at a house directly opposite us here over the canal, something I could throw a stone at. The house was for sale. And there was absolutely no way in the world I could afford it. It was so far out of my league, so far. <laughs> but... In just the same way as ever since I could, I've gone to Ferrari shops and looked at Ferraris like, I cannot afford that stuff, certainly not then. It's like, I'm still going to go and look at it because this is aspirational for me and this motivates me because one day I can see myself there. So there was a house just over there, Um, fun story. But anyway, so I'd looked at that, I'd gone back to Sydney. A week after I got back to Sydney, a week after I'm back at Pfizer, I get this email, uh, which is a meeting invite. And it was just an odd collection of people. So there was, there must have been about a dozen of us in total from the technology department in Sydney. Uh, many of us had regional roles. Some of them, some of us had local roles. And the lady that had sent the invite was the head of the IT department in Pfizer in Sydney. And it was an odd collection of people, people who wouldn't only be in the same meeting together. And then the subject of the meeting was something like updates <laughs> you know it's not like 
we're meeting together to discuss the latest .NET framework. <laughs> you know, it's just updates. And uh, I thought, oh, that's really, that really interesting. And I, I had a bit of an inkling. I don't know why. I just thought it was, you know, maybe, maybe. And I go into the meeting room uh, and she's crying. So I was like, oh, oh this is going to be interesting. She's crying. And then my boss, Gerard, is on a speakerphone. And then his boss was on a speakerphone as well. So this is going to be really interesting. And the, the way they did it is they put up a PowerPoint. And the PowerPoint had an org chart. And we all had names. And there were, let's say there were 12 people, 12 boxes. Everyone had names, had roles. And they're like, this is the organization now. And then there was another slide. And it had about eight boxes with just titles. This is what the organization is going to look like. It's like, wow, that's, uh, that's really, really interesting. I'm, uh, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen here. And uh, they, they, they really, really beat around the bush. It wasn't like we're making four roles redundant. And I just remember like looking around the room and there were one of the guys who I worked with very closely was, was well and truly into retirement age. And he was, I, I don't think he was in a great financial position at the time. He was worried. There was other people who were just like ashen faced. And I'm sitting there going, oh, gee, this is going to be good. Like, I really hope this is what it looks like it's going to be. Uh, and I just remember at one point saying, look, can we just like cut through the bullshit? Are you making roles redundant? Because I couldn't even get them. To, and even then, it was very wishy-washy. Well, you can apply for one of the other things if you want to. Ended up with four of us leaving, um, which was great. But the reason I tell that story is that by that time, like I, I knew the redundancy provision would be really good. I wanted to go. I was making a lot of money from Pluralsight at the time. I was making a lot more money writing courses for Pluralsight than I was going to the office every day. This is part of my blog post on financial tips. I think I wrote it on the last day of 2018. Uh, that blog post is also in the book, and there's more background on that as well. So double book pimping <laughs> right there. All right, I'm conscious of time because we are almost on an hour here. Are there any more comments here? Um, Brendan's cat has left the room. I appreciate that, Brendan. Thank you. <laughs> Couldn't help laugh at you wanting to be updated. <laughs> you got to laugh, haven't you? What else have we got? Um, uh, and look, I think that pretty much takes us up to uh, up to the end here because we are about to hit bang on an hour, just over 58 minutes. So I do have to go and start a day, which will include having the painter finish painting the corners just here, getting my curtains back up, uh, hopefully in time for me to be able to do this presentation for Kins in Norway later today. If you are going to be around for that, check in, watch that, uh, because they are helping me enjoy my joyful, joyful life of independence and not working for Pfizer anymore. Thanks for it, folks. Go and grab that book. Free chapters out there now, book.troyant.com. I'll chuck that in the links as well. Uh, and if you do have any feedback on it, please do drop that into the comments too because we are reading it all and we are going to make sure that we pay attention to everything that is said. Thanks, folks. See you later.